0: All right, I'm gonna read this whole letter and then we'll pray. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Say wow. Yeah. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore... How you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. That's a disturbing thought, right? You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. That's a great, great uh, phrase that he says there. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Lord, we love you, and we are so grateful for your present ministry to these churches that you are speaking into their now, that you were disclosing their heart condition to them even even when it was probably obscure, even to themselves. Lord, thank you that you're not just the God of yesterday. We thank you for what you've done, God. We thank you for parted seas. We thank you for bread from heaven, God. We thank you for slain giants. We thank you, God, for lepers being healed. We thank you for all of those works in the past, but you are the living God. You are the God of our now. You're the God of our present. And I pray tonight that uh, even from the failure of this church, we would learn that deep lesson. God, you know oftentimes we're just so prone to rest on yesterday's laurels. God, to sit on the victories that you won in the past instead of using them as evidence for your faithfulness in our present. And so, God, we pray. We pray that you would, if we've fallen asleep at the wheel, we pray, God, that you would wake us up. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this obviously is a a tough letter, right? I mean, two of these letters have no commendations whatsoever. So, I mean, it's not as if Jesus didn't want to commend the churches. It's not that he was unwilling to look at the good things that were happening in these these various ministries, because he was. He was more than ready, more than willing to point out, you know, the positive things that were happening in churches. But there were two churches where there were no positive things. There were two churches where there were no commendations, and that is Sardis and Laodicea. You know, you have two churches. If there are two churches not to emulate, you know, if there are two churches not to pattern yourself or your church after. Uh, these would be the two churches. And so, um, you know, this era, like we, we talked a little bit about how these churches possibly represent an era of Christianity. Uh, people who try to view church history through that lens with, with respect to these churches would say this is the Protestant era, you know, where there was a very solid and strong beginning where, you know, life sprang forth from where there was death, but then, you know, over the course of time, what seemed to be, unfortunately, inevitable, happened. And I don't, look, I mean, we can can debate whether, you know, that happened in the Protestant era or not. The real question is this, does it happen in our lives? Because I think sometimes it is easy for us, you know, when God by grace does something great, and there's a wonderful, beautiful move of his spirit in our lives, sometimes, unfortunately, what happens is, like the church of Sardis, we can kind of fall asleep at the wheel. You know, we can be so thankful uh, for what God did in the past, so focused on it that, you know, we rest on yesterday's victories. It, it almost brings us to a place or a condition Where we justify our current lukewarmness or our lack of engagement in the things of God, because we see through the framework of His past victories in our lives. I think about the great work of God. You know, I I know I know this firsthand because you know I got saved in 1992 at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And, um, you know, this was at the tail end of just an amazing work of God that I didn't have the opportunity to see with my own eyes. Some people here um, with us tonight did have the opportunity to see that. And it was, without a doubt, undeniably, um, a revival. It was an awakening. It was a work of God's grace. It was, you couldn't explain it in any other terms. It was a movement of God's Spirit, not because they themselves called it a movement, but because history, as you look back on history... There was no other way to define it or describe it. It was a movement, and from time to time, I'm not saying that this happens a lot, but from time to time, you know, I interact with people that have the opportunity of being present during those times, and all they can talk about is what God did in the past. All they can talk about is the great work that Jesus did then, and you can tell by the Volume of their conversation that they've not really been looking to God to do the same work in the present, and I think that this was what the church at Sardis was guilty of. You know, I've entitled this message Church of the Living Dead because, in a way, this is the contrast you see. You see that. And Jesus says it himself that there are some in this church who are alive, but the vast majority, it would seem, were spiritually dead, at least, you know, at best, asleep at the, at the wheel. Um, in verse one, he obviously identifies this church as the church of Sardis, just a little bit of history. And it's really, I love how uh, the history of these cities is used as an illustration for their present spiritual condition. Like, you know, only God can do that. It's amazing how the lord used their history to you know metaphorically illustrate even to themselves stories that they would have been familiar with it's almost as if jesus uses their history as an allegory for their current spiritual condition whether it's good or bad all of that being said sardis was the oldest city in asia minor it was it was founded in about 2000 bc which uh, was a long time ago, obviously, but for all of the cities in Asia Minor at the time, this city had uh, the greatest history, you know, with respect to the length of time or the chronology. By 1200 BC, it had become the most significant city in modern-day Turkey or ancient Asia Minor. It was, in fact, the capital of the Lydian Empire, which was no small empire, so it had a very significant and um, prominent role. In 570 BC, the richest king in the world that actually made it his headquarters. His name was Croesus. Um, and you know, if you were with us a number of years ago when we went to Sardis, you know, it's just—it's amazing. It's an amazing area to behold. You know, there's this massive mountain. It's this uh, majestic spur that just shoots up out of the ground some 1,500 feet. And at the top of the mountain is the Acropolis. You know, Acropolis means basically city that's on top. It's set on top of the mountain. Three sheer cliffs, you know, or sheer cliffs on three sides. And then the way to get to the city was from the back. At the base of the mountain was this sprawling metropolis. um, And the ruins are something to behold. You know, you can Google this later. Please don't do it while I'm teaching because, you know, I get insecure and sensitive that way. But um, the, the ruins are something to behold. Just the gymnasium, the Roman-era gymnasium, um, is just is a, what's left over is majestic to behold. So there's a lot of history with this particular city. And in fact, during the Roman era, it was considered to be the first metropolis. It had been conquered twice, uh, once by Cyrus of Persia, when he rolled into the Lydian Empire and he attacked Croesus, this very wealthy king. Some would say the wealthiest king of his era. And then later on, it was conquered by um, Antiochus about 300 years later. And ultimately, it was a city that um, was under um, Roman control. It was a Roman province. But the way that it was conquered during the time of Croesus was very interesting. You know, like I said, not an easy city, Um, you know, very difficult to, to conquer. You either had to dry up the water source. Eliminate the food resource and then just wait the time out. But oftentimes the stores were so great, the food stores were so great on top of the mountain that, you know, most uh, most armies didn't want to have to endure that amount of time. So when Cyrus came, Cyrus the king of Persia, they had made their encampment at the foot of the mountain and they were waiting, right? They were waiting and they were watching. And there, you know, it was one of those situations where they were just about ready to pull up camp and head home um, when on a particular evening, one of the soldiers that was on guard, he was watching from the city wall, his helmet fell off and it bounced down the mountainside. While well, some soldiers were watching and they watched this soldier traverse down the mountainside, and because he did that, they saw a clear path up to the mountain, you know, up to the city. They were watching carefully. And so, what they did, it, this happened late at night, what they did is as he went back up and back into the city, they came like a thief in the night, just like Jesus says here, they came like a thief in the night. They traversed that um, otherwise unseen pathway and they conquered the city um, of Sardis, at least on the Acropolis. Now this was the thing, the people that were living in the Acropolis were not paying attention at all. They thought that their city was impregnable. Um, And so therefore they weren't really paying attention to what was happening at the foot of the mountain. It was life as usual, business as usual for them because they thought that they were safe and they were conquered the first time. 300 years later, they were asleep at the wheel again, and they were conquered in a similar fashion um, another time. So they were a city that did not learn from their own history. They really did feel that, in a sense, they were too big to fall. That is the city of Sardis. Um, He says this, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Um, So, you know, Jesus bringing to bear some attributes that he has that for sure they needed to be reminded of. The first is this, uh, the seven spirits most likely represent the full ministry of the the spirit of God. I talked about about this, excuse me. I talked about this from Isaiah chapter 11, verse two, um, that some people take those verses there and they from it derive the sevenfold ministry of God's Holy Spirit. And in the book of Revelation, when the Bible speaks of the seven spirits of God, it is connected to Isaiah chapter 11, verse two, and it's talking about the uh, complete because the number seven in biblical numerology represents completion. Three is perfection, seven is completion, eight is a new beginning. And so we're talking about the complete ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so it's possible that what Jesus is saying is that the spirit of God ministers to people on his behalf and it's a complete and perfect ministry. Um, It's expressing, I do believe in this context, the omniscience of God, right? There's nothing that God doesn't see. It's a, a perfect work of the Holy Spirit who understands every single detail that is happening in any local church at any given time. And in addition to that, in any believer's life at any given time as well. And he has the capacity, the Holy Spirit does, to not only know our condition, right? He sees beyond the veneer. Just in the context of what's being spoken here, he sees beyond the veneer. He sees beyond the facade. He sees beyond the show. They have a name that they're alive. From all appearances, they seem to be spiritually spiritually living, but in fact, they're not On the inside, they're dead. Well, it's the Holy Spirit that has the ability to not only recognize that, but to bring the conviction to bear in our hearts to lead us away. This is the ministry of the Spirit of God to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And so I I think that Jesus is reminding them that the Spirit of God is under his direction, and is ministering there in that church. And then in addition to that, not only is he directing the ministry of the Spirit of God, he is also directing the ministry of uh, the leaders of the church. He has in his hand the seven stars. And so um, not only, like I said, is he directing the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but those who are leading the church, those who are in positions of power and of authority, ultimately are under His authority. And then he says this very challenging word. He says, I know your works that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Could you imagine that? Should we just pause for a second? I mean, could you imagine? Hey, what if? Let's just play a game right now. What if, what if the Holy Spirit just publicly revealed your spiritual condition to everybody right here and right now? I just want to look. I just want to look. I mean, you know, does it make you feel a little nervous? Like a little nervous? What if, what if there was a prophetic word right now? Someone's like, hey, I have a prophetic word and God has shown me, I'm not saying that this happens, all right, but we're just playing a game right now. God has shown me what's really going on. What is really going on in everyone's life. Could you imagine that? I don't don't think that this was an easy word for this church to hear. I think maybe they had justified each other in the little game that they were playing, right? I mean, maybe they all thought that they were alive. Maybe this was the most shocking uh, truth that they could have ever heard. Like maybe it was devastating to some of them. Maybe for some of them, it was like, man, busted, totally busted, right? They're playing the game. They're rolling into church. They're acting like everything's good. They've dedicated their Sunday nights, you know, to God. And so he gets those 90 minutes. But listen, the rest of the week is just like hell. It's just like hell or zero connection with God whatsoever. I mean, God's got a a blip, right? A little blip on the map that's given to him like a trinket. Here you go, God. I hope you're satisfied. You know, I've I've done my duty. I've I've done the deal, and I pray that it's pacified your desires, but then for the rest of the week, absolutely nothing. I wonder if some of them were like, "Man, he knows he knows he knows what's really going on. And then I think this, I think these churches th- these letters, excuse me, these letters were read to other churches as well. like could you could you imagine being in the church and hearing? these letters that were written to other churches read in your church? Or could you imagine if, if like this was the church of Sardis, if we were the church of Sardis, and then that letter was read to all the other churches in the city of Las Vegas? You know, I just, I wonder, I wonder what the level of conviction felt like for these believers at this time. You know, I wanna remind you of something, You know, and this is not a justification for allowing things to go sideways in a church, but I do wanna remind you that there are only two churches of the seven that Jesus doesn't have anything to correct them for. There were issues in five of the seven churches. And if for, for a second you even think, like if your goal is to find the perfect church, let's just work the probabilities on that, all right? If your goal is to find the perfect church, you're gonna have a hard time finding the perfect church because really, honestly, there is no perfect church. Like, we are all in process. He is graciously and patiently working with us, working with us while he uses us. I love this about God. You know, could you imagine if the requirement of God was that you be perfect before he could use you? Could you imagine that? I mean, how many of us would be serving the Lord? Don't raise your hand here, okay? (laughs) How many of us would be serving God? Like, we would all be immediately disqualified. But you know what he does? He says, Listen, I'm going to let you, I'm going to invite you into what I'm doing. And while I'm inviting you into this uh, glorious work, I'm going to transform you, I'm going to change you. You are in process. Don't ever stop learning, don't ever stop growing. Don't ever get to a place where you're relying on what God did yesterday and you're not, you're not open to what God desires to do today. You know, it took a revelation that was, you know, this city ultimately was destroyed by an earthquake. And I think that this revelation, this objective outside revelation, it had to come from the outside. It had to come from the outside. Why? Because they weren't concerned about truth on the inside. Maybe they were so concerned about not offending each other, for a moment they knew that the spiritual condition that they were in was wrong, but because they didn't want to offend each other, you know what? They just, they buried it. They concealed it. They chose not to speak the truth in love. And so what did he have to do? He had to speak revelation from the outside into their present condition, Why? Because this city was living on a past reputation, or excuse me, this church was living on a past reputation. And so the principle for us is this, you can't judge your present spiritual condition by your past spiritual accomplishments. You cannot judge your present spiritual condition by your past spiritual accomplishments. I don't care how much God used you. I mean, I do, but I don't. Praise God for what he did in your life. But don't, don't come to me and lay out the litany of all the great things that God did in your life then and have nothing to talk about when we consider what he is doing now. I think a church is in danger of dying when it relies on its past. Obviously, I've said that. Living off of past memories instead of present relationship with, with Jesus is a sure way to spiritual death. In fact, I think when a church uh, relies on its systems more than it relies on loving the Lord, it is in danger of dying. And I wonder if this church did that. I wonder if this church looked at the way it was done in the past and their traditions and their distinctives and their methods. And you know, this was just the way it was done then and it was so successful. And so why do we really need to trust God today? Because being an old wineskin, you know, it seemed to work yesterday. And and you know what? God loves an old wineskin. No, he doesn't. If you want the new wine, you need to be a new wineskin. You can be busy, but barren. You can be busy for the Lord, but you can be spiritually barren. Whenever I think of the church of Sardis, I think of a mortician. I know it sounds really weird, But I think of, you know, the job a mortician has of taking a dead body and, you know, putting the cosmetics on, covering up the the places that are are decaying and rotting and making something that's dead look um, presentable. And you know we can do that in a spiritual sense as well. So listen, obviously, such a strong warning, alive on the outside, dead on the inside. What's the, what is the solution to this? You know, it would be easy, I think, for Jesus to say, hey, you've you blown it. I mean, you bunch of losers. <laughs> after all I've done for you, after all I've done for you, and this is the way that you treat your relationship with me, but he doesn't do that because he never quits on us. Aren't you thankful that he never quits? Aren't you thankful he never gives up? Right? He says this, uh, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die for I've not found your works perfect before God. So number one, he says this, he says be watchful. Um, Obviously this was a, a connection to the history of this city, they weren't watchful, they were too big to fall. There was too much great history that had happened. They were impregnable. It could never happen to them. It's always going to happen to somebody else. You know, whenever a Christian starts talking like that, you know, they start, they start criticizing other believers and acting as if those Christians, they do this. That will never happen to me. I'm telling you, make sure you don't talk like that because if it wasn't for the grace of God, you and I would potentially be in the same spot. He says, be watchful, wake up. You know, you need to regain your spiritual consciousness. You need to be alert spiritually again. Jesus said this to the disciples when he invited three of them into that special place in the Garden of Gethsemane to join him in prayer. He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. You know, we can be totally asleep at the wheel, we look around us and we see the signs of the times. We do believe we're living you know, in the era that's gonna see the rapture of the church, the building of the third temple, the introduction of the antichrist, the great tribulation period, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, all of that could happen in this generation. And yet some of us still are spiritually sleeping. He says to this church, watch. And when the Bible talks about watching, um, it uses it in a variety of contexts. It can mean watch for the coming of the Lord. It can mean watch for false teachers. Jesus said to his disciples, watch, be spiritually alert so you don't fall into temptation. Um, It's used with respect to spiritual warfare, being aware of, of the wiles of the adversary. There's a spiritual alertness because you know what the devil wants to do. The devil wants you to be asleep to those things. He wants you to be so entertained by the world. He wants you to be so consumed with, what, with what's happening in society that you're distracted from what really matters. Uh, you know, when, when I think about this, I think of, and I don't know why this happens too, but that scene in The Wizard of Oz, you remember when they're walking through the field of poppies? And it's like, you're getting sleepy, you're getting sleepy. And pretty soon they they fall asleep and those freaky flying monkeys come and pick them up and take them to the witch's castle. Well, that's what the devil wants to do to you. I know it's a stretch tonight, but I'm just saying, right? He wants you, man, to be so allured with this world. And he's happy, you know, to... He's happy if that's something that happens over the course of time, right? I mean, you, you start engaging in the world to the place where you're so consumed with it spiritually you're asleep and pretty soon you are picked up and you are carried away you know if you're not watching if you're not spiritually watching i want to remind you and warn you that satan is he is watching he's watching for you to make the mistake he's watching for you to drop the helmet in a sense to to reveal where that weakness is in your life. This is why the Bible says be vigilant and resist the devil steadfast in the faith. You know, those were Peter's words to the churches in this area that they needed to be vigilant. They needed to be constantly aware. They couldn't yield a moment. And I know sometimes when pastors talk like that, the tendency can be to think, man, you know what? You're just exaggerating. And I'm not exaggerating. Because he is, the adversary is, waiting to find a chink in the armor so that he can exploit it. Number one, I want to encourage us tonight to watch. Number two, he says this. He says, strengthen. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. So there were Some things that were kind of alive that were just about to die. You know, they were wilting for sure. And he says, I've not found your works perfect before God. He's not talking about entering into a place of moral perfection. He's talking about being complete. He's talking about things that were really dedicated to the purposes of God. He's talking about things that were alive to the place where they were bearing fruit. No, they were wilting. These people were wilting. And so he says, identify those things that are kind of alive and strengthen them. Just focus on that. You know, the Greek word here is sterizo, where we get our English word steroid. This is the only time you'll hear me say to you, it's okay to juice up, all right? You need to juice up those things that are wilting. You need to apply the steroids to those things that are Maybe kind of handled in your life, spiritual things that are handled uh, with a sense of complacency. I mean, really, I, I was talking this morning about how in marriage, you know, there's all sorts of things that we plan for and we, we strategically plan for and then we discipline ourselves for, right? We want to buy a house. And so what do we do, whether you're single or married, uh, well, we discipline ourselves. We create a strategy. We have a plan. And then, you know, we're, we're disciplined. There's decisions that we make. There are things we won't do because we have a goal in mind. Whether it's buying a house, whether it's planning for retirement, whether it's advancing yourself in some professional way, where, when there's a goal that you have, listen, you create a plan and then you discipline yourself to execute the plan. Well, why doesn't that happen with spiritual things? Why does that not, why do spiritual things oftentimes seem to get the leftover of our effort? Uh, They get the leftover of our time. Sometimes it's like, well, you know, I mean, pastor, I would, but I just don't have time. Well, why don't you have time? Well, are you too busy? I'm not anti-sports, but are you too busy watching football? Are you too busy engaged in your, what's that thing in football that everyone's doing right now? Totally. Fantasy football, thank you very much. All right, well, now we know, all right? Are you, are you so engaged in your fantasy football? You know, look, you fill the you blank in. You fill the blank in. I'm just saying to you, I'm beating a dead horse here tonight, but God should get our best, right? God should get our best. He wants the works to be filled up and complete. He doesn't just want a shell with no substance. And you know what? We can fool people with a shell that has no real spiritual substance, but we cannot fool God. We can fool the pastor. We can fool sometimes our spouse. We can fool our friends. We can make it appear on social media that we are something that we're not. Like, man, this is such a warning for us with respect to social media. You know you can create the perfect persona on social media and initially, know that it's not the full truth. But as you go down that road, you start to believe that that really is the person that you are. When it really isn't the person that you are, God sees through the shell. All right. Verse three. Third thing, remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. And he says, hold fast and repent. And then he goes on to say something else, and I'll share that in a minute. So the third thing, if we're in that spot, like Sardis was, where we're, you know, we have a name that we're alive, but we're really dead. The third thing we need to do is remember. I love how he just reminds this church to remember. Go back to where it all started, right? Go back to the initial gospel calling, that led to your initial steps of faith. Remember those moments where your relationship with me was so alive and so vibrant and take those initial steps all over again. You know, sometimes, you know, we do invitations. We give people an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And, and normally it comes in two parts, right? There is, the first part is for the person who's never taken that step of faith. You know, they, maybe they've been wrestling with Christianity and God's been getting a hold of their heart. And so they're finally at that spot as the Spirit of God has ministered to them where they're ready to put their trust and faith in Christ for the initial time. You know, our invitations come with that as the first part. And then in the second part, we give people an opportunity to rededicate their life. Because sometimes what happens as Christians is we can get off track. You know, we go, we, we go off-road, we go out of the spirit, we start walking in the flesh, and pretty, pretty soon we find ourselves in candy land, right, in a, in a sinful sense. We're down the road, we've drifted from God, and we're prodigal. And you know, we give our invitation in two parts, because we want both of those people to take the initial steps. For some of them, they really are the initial steps. For others, they're taking the initial steps another time. They're not getting born again again, but they're recommitting their life. They're doing exactly what Jesus said here. Remember. Remember how you've received and heard and redo. This is precisely what he said to the church at Ephesus. And maybe, you know, tonight you're in that spot. Maybe you've been off road in your relationship with God. Maybe you're down the prodigal road. You're a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. You're present at church, and that is good. But remember, God doesn't want you just to drop a religious coin in the bucket so you can pacify your own conscience and somehow satisfy some divine demand of God. No, He wants your heart because He loves you. He wants a living, meaningful, day by day, present relationship with you. And so it may be today that you need to redo those initial steps and have the opportunity to be renewed in your faith. The third thing I want to encourage you with is remember. Remember those initial steps. Take them again and seek God today. And then he says, hold fast and repent. Hold fast and repent. Um, Hold on to that confession of faith with tenacity, right? Don't let it go. Turn away from all these things that have distracted you, the spiritual apathy possibly, um, the lukewarmness, maybe the life of sin. Make a U-turn in your life. Change the way that you think about sin and align your thinking with God's thinking. Reject it and turn your heart wholly back to the Lord. And he says, this is the warning, therefore if you will not watch I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Um, He's not talking about the rapture. He's not talking about the second coming. Uh, I would say this is in line with what he has said to these churches, some of them. If you don't ship shape, if you don't fix the problem, if you don't change things, I'm gonna remove your lampstand. You may be a church now, but the fact is this. If you don't fix the problem, I am taking the light away. And the church is gonna be gone completely. I think this is in alignment with that. He's not talking about them losing their salvation, but this is, in a sense, some sort of judgment on these individual believers who are unwilling to repent of their spiritual apathy or their spiritual deadness. What does that mean in particular? Uh, We're not necessarily sure, but there was going to be a shaking in their lives. Let me just remind all of us that he is the son of man. He He is incarnate. He is relevant to us. He came in our likeness so that he could lay a hand on us, so that he could be identified with us. He was numbered with the transgressors, but he is also God. He is God incarnate. He's a second person of the Trinity. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes, he is the lamb, but he is also the lion. He is the one who laid down his life as a sacrifice, but he is also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He came to receive the nails the first time. He is coming with a sword the second time. And I say all of that to say that Jesus is not to be trifled with, all right? He's not to be trifled with. I think it's easy for us sometimes to think, hey, mercy, grace, license, whatever, you know, I'm forgiven. So that is not the way that we should misuse the grace of God. I know you know what I'm talking about. Verse four, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they're worthy. I'm sure there were some there that were like, man, wait a minute, I don't think that's me. And Jesus is like, listen, I, I see who you are. You know, I, I see who you are. I've given you white garments of righteousness and you've maintained that. You've not soiled them. You've not spotted them with sin. By the way, when you do, when you do soil the garment, the righteous garment that Christ has given to you, what do you do? 1 John chapter 1, verse nine, you confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you. He can cleanse the stain in your life, the stain of sin. Doesn't matter how dark, doesn't matter how deep. You know, I love Italian food. I swear every time I eat Italian food, I get tomato sauce all over my white clothes, right? Don't, this is the rule. Don't eat Italian food with a, a white T-shirt because inevitably what happens? Well, it, it gets on you. And then, then, then how do you get it out? Or you get a coffee stain and it's like, man, it's just so much work and then it's never the same. And you know, sometimes we can think that way about sin. We make errors of judgment, we sin, we get off track. And you know, sometimes it's so bad you think, man, Lord, can you ever even cleanse me from this? And the answer is yes, he absolutely can. He can make you as pure as newly driven snow. What can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? Oh, yeah. Come on now, church. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. There's no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Verse 5, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot his name from the book of life. I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Let's just pause there. Uh, there are some people who say, "See listen you 're never really secure as far as uh, salvation goes in your relationship with God, because he says here that he was going to blot out some people 's name from the book of life. That is not what he says here right that he he never frames this in the negative, he only frames this in the positive, and you can 't make an argument from silence don 't fill in where God hasn 't spoken." This is an affirmation. This is an encouragement. Uh, You and I don't have the license just to say, well, if he said the positive, he must also mean the negative. No, that's not true. Because if that's the case, let me tell you, the Bible says that God has predestined us to salvation. The Bible says that. Does the Bible say that God has then predestined others to hell? No, the Bible does not say that. You say, Well, the logic, the logical extrapolation is, and I say to you, um, it's not a logical a- extrapolation and it's not presented in scripture, and so you don't have the freedom to connect dots that don't exist. This is simply an affirmation, it's a confirmation, it's an encouragement. I mean, can you imagine having? Your whole spiritual life shaken by hearing you have a name that you're alive, but you're really dead. And then to have this encouragement listen, don't give up, don't quit, don't throw the, the towel in. You can overcome. And when you're overcome, you'll be re-clothed in white garments, and I will not blot your name out of the book of life. Not only that, I will confess his name before my father. And before his angels. I love the picture. Look, I love the picture. And oftentimes when I'm doing a memorial service, I'll use this as just a statement of not only encouragement, but amazement. I mean, how awesome is that? (laughs) Terry and Richard. Terry and Richard are here with us tonight. Very first wedding I ever did in my... They hate me for this because, you know, they're, they're quiet folk. But the very first wedding I ever did in my life was that wedding right there. And they're an amazing couple. They are. They are. And they're still married, which means I didn't blow it, okay? so, <laughs> so, so one day, they're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ... They're going to stand with, this is what this scripture says, they're going to stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is he going to do? He is going to take Richard and he's going to present Richard before the Father, God the Father, and all of the holy angels. And he is going to declare, Jesus is going to declare Richard's name before all of them. And he's going to do the same thing for Terry. And I want you to think about this. Think about the audience Think about the, look, if I brought you up here and said, hey, I'm going to declare Richard and Terry's name before all of you, that's one thing. But what if it's 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angels? Ordinary, run of the mill. By the way, 10,000 is the highest number in the Greek numerical system. So what John is saying, an infinite number of angels, an infinite number. So not just ordinary run-of-the-mill angels, but we're also talking about the seraphim and the cherubim, the Father, the Holy Spirit, the whole host of heaven. One day, one day, and you look, you and I need to see our present life in the framework of heaven because all of this is going to be worth it. All of it's going to be worth it. Every, every ounce of suffering, every difficulty you endure Um, Every challenge you face, all of the persecution that that will come your way because of your faith in Jesus Christ, when you stand with Jesus before the Father and all of the holy angels and your name is declared, you are not for a second going to look back with regret. You're going to say in that moment, you know, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. And to be in that spot where your name is going to be declared in that moment, is gonna be an amazing thing. He goes on to say, verse six, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Lord, thank you tonight for your word, and we're grateful, Father, even for this challenging word, very, very challenging word to this church, and maybe even for some of us tonight, a hard word to hear. Maybe tonight, There's been a a revelation in our own lives that there's a shell, but there's really no substance. There's a veneer, there's an image. There's an image that we've been portraying, but something very different has been happening on the inside. I pray tonight that it would be your love that would draw us to repentance. It would be your kindness That we, not because of, not because of the law, but because of the cross, would change our heart, our mind about the spiritual apathy that we've accommodated, and we would turn ourselves wholly and completely to you. I pray tonight, God, if there's One among us who's never taken that step of faith and trusted in Jesus, that tonight would be their night. I pray tonight that those of us who need a renewal, those of us who need to remember those first works, those first initial steps of faith, and take them again, I pray that we would not say no. Those of us tonight who've not been watching, we've been complacent, I pray tonight that you would strengthen the things that remain, that, Lord, you would breathe your breath upon that smoking flax, and that you would cause us to be on fire for you again. I pray tonight that for those of us who've leaned on yesterday at the expense of today, I pray Lord, that you would reveal that to us. And of course, Father, that that there would be a a sense of gratitude for what you've done, but God, our past would not be an idol or an obstacle to what you desire to do in our present. Tonight, as uh, we're in an attitude of prayer, it would be wrong tonight if there wasn't an opportunity to really respond to the Lord and and to take some steps of faith and to turn away in repentance from things that have been displeasing to Him. And, you know, God knows right where you're at. He loves you so much. And, you know, I want to just so strongly encourage you that you know, the adversary, the devil, would love nothing more than to keep you in a bad spot. And tonight, you have a choice. You have a choice either to stay in that bad spot, that place that's displeasing to God, or you can come to him like a, like a little child in thy naivety of faith and trust and vulnerability a full disclosure to God. You know, holding things back in your life has only hurt you. Tonight, you need to give him your heart. And so this evening, maybe this is you. You need to take those initial steps of faith. You need to trust in Christ. Today, uh, he has been ministering to you for some time, but you've, you've just not stepped forward in faith. You've not given him your life. You've not believed for yourself that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again. You've never really chosen to follow Jesus as a disciple. Now is the moment for you. If this is you tonight, he is speaking to you. You need to take this step of faith. You need to walk forward with God. You need to stop putting this off. You need to stop saying tomorrow and you need to live this today. Right now, if this is you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you tonight. I want to pray that God would give you the strength and courage to take this step of faith and to follow Jesus. God bless you. See your hand over here on my left. Anybody else? Awesome. Thank you. Maybe tonight you've been wayward in your relationship with God. It might not be, you know, full out obvious wickedness and evil, but maybe there's been a spiritual apathy that has taken hold of your heart like a cancer. Whatever the case may be tonight, if you're a Christian and you need a renewal, a spiritual renewal, you need a fresh touch of God's Holy Spirit. You need a moment in time where you can recommit your life, where you can take those initial steps again, where you can say to God, I am yours. I am holy and completely yours. I'm holding nothing back. I'm not living for this world. I'm not living in compromise. I'm not yielding to spiritual apathy. I want fire, God. I want your fire in my heart. Tonight, if this is you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you you, and you, and in the back, and over here on my left, in the back, and here in the front. God bless you all. So good. He loves you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see yours as well. Awesome. I see your hand over here. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you that you're with us, you're present. You do give us revelation. And you've spoken tonight. We praise you for that and pray that you would bless these lives, Lord. Bless them. Tonight, I want to lead you right where you're at in a very simple prayer. And then then as we close in worship, I'm going to have our follow-up team come forward. And I'm going to invite you all to come down and get some prayer. But I want to lead you in prayer right now. Maybe this is the initial steps of faith for you. And trusting in Christ, maybe tonight uh, you're just remembering and you're redoing, you're coming back to that initial place so that there can be a fresh new work of God's Holy Spirit upon you. In either case, I want you to pray tonight, pray believing with all of your heart that God hears and that God is going to answer. So you can pray this prayer out loud, you can pray it in your heart either way, follow me tonight. God, thank you that you have spoken to me and I hear and I'm choosing tonight to obey, choosing to walk in faith, choosing to believe in Jesus, your son, choosing to receive his sacrifice for me to live in the power of his resurrection. And tonight I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would light my heart on fire for you, and that you would receive me as a disciple. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.